On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Vienna about the top 50 signs that you're being manipulated. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. Today on our show, we have Vienna, who was a guest on our show on December 20th, 2020, is a Survivor Story guest. She's also been on discussing natal charts, and we also discussed the Enneagram a bit. Today, we're discussing the top 50 signs that you're being manipulated. It's a really good episode. You'll learn a lot, and we laugh a lot during this episode. It's entertaining as well in that sense. So thank you for showing up today. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story podcast episodes, go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says guest form. Press that button, click, click on that button. Same thing. And away we will go from there. And if you want to have some support in your life, some community in your life, also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Community Support. You click on that button, it takes you to our safe social network. Our community, our community members are on there posting in our forums. We have integrated Zoom support meetings on Wednesdays and Saturday nights. We have prompt workbooks for our episodes to help you dig deeper and get more clarity into your relationships in life. We have bonus episodes. We have ad-free episodes, and you can create and run your own events on there as well, such as meditations and closure ceremonies. So our community members are all amazing, and they're here to support you when needed and cheer you on when needed as well, give you the shoulder that you always need. So come to our support group, and I guarantee you, you will make a ton of new friends in the process. So join our community today at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, community support. Speaking of support, if you are someone you know are experiencing abuse, you are not alone. DomesticShelters.org offers an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you're experiencing. And you can also connect with local resources and find ways to heal and move forward. So please do go to domesticshelters.org to access this free resource. And I think that is it for today. And here is my episode with Vienna. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, I have Vienna. How are you? Hi, I'm good. So today, we are going to discuss 50 ways to tell that you're being manipulated and that something was wrong. And we're going to talk about some manipulation tactics. And... For those that don't know you, you've been a guest on our show, on our Survivor Story episode, December 20th, 2020, you've been on our show to discuss natal charts. We always discuss the Enneagram, 
And what I know about you and what others don't know about you is that you love, you're a detective and you love words and how people use those words, especially to manipulate you. And this is one of those things where we've tossed around different ideas for shows discussing words and not just a one-off show, but a whole its own series and you are on reddit you are on quora you're a big quora person and you started to notice the pattern of words and answers that people were giving on there and started to really notice who was a fake victim on there and who was just spewing their story and you had a a system that you kind of figured everything out that you told me one day and we started playing a game everyone where you would send me a couple people's different writings and you'd say who is the fake victim who is the real victim and so i'd start reading it really hard and then i'd say i'd come up with my answer and then you'd ask me why And then I'd give you my reasons. And usually my reasons weren't as good. Like it was just, you know, surface, not surface level, but like I'd have like a couple points in there. But you were at another level. Be like, and this, and this, and this. And you really started to be able to decipher people's words and became a real big part of your life and something that you obsess over, healthy or not. (laughs) And so... You know, when did this happen for you? Obviously, within your relationship, uh, your abusive relationship, this was a big thing, was the use of words, how words are used, and how these tactics can be used against you. So we're going to discuss 50, but let's start off with, like, you, your experience of it, and the why. Yeah. Yeah, so because my personality is naturally... Uh, focus towards patterns and figuring things out and observing everything. Um, when I was in uh, an abusive relationship, that confusion of, you know, something's wrong, but not knowing what it was or, or uh, how to really like sort it out, that was so frustrating for me. So I just started sorting it out. What I would do is I would, after any sort of like verbal altercation or anything that was said that made me feel a certain type of way without me being able to label it with anything, I would just write it down and I would write down what was said to the best of what I could recall. And I would do it without judgment. And I'd go back later when I wasn't emotionally affected by it and just really look at it. And I started seeing these patterns and... Yeah, that I just started pulling them out and categorizing them and naming them. And I think uh, <laughs> what you might call an obsession was really just a tool in my recovery to um, get to the bottom of things, to, to, to see, to figure out exactly what was happening. Because when you're in that crazy-making situation, you know, your brain's all jumbled up and it's hard to see. But hopefully this is, you know, this is a way that you can pinpoint things early on if you're not in a relationship with somebody who's toxic or abusive and you can exit scene quickly 
Or if you are in a relationship with someone who, you know, something's not quite right, you could start to see exactly what is not right. Were you offended by, by my worst of obsession? <laughs> no, not offended. I mean, I have a tendency to obsess. Sure. So here we are. Where do we begin? Yes. Well, I think, I think one of the most important things to know is that when people say like, how, why are you still in a relationship with somebody who's verbally abusive or manipulating you? Or if you know this person is toxic, why are you still in a relationship with them? The truth is, is that manipulation and verbal abuse becomes harder to detect over time because you're used to it. You've adapted to it and it doesn't sound strange anymore. So that's number one. So don't beat yourself up. If you notice some of these things coming from somebody that you're, you're dating or married to or have dated, or even if you notice that maybe you do some of these things because, you know, we all grow up in whatever environment we grow up in and we all learn patterns of speaking that aren't necessarily healthy. And if you notice that, you can correct it. Um, what verbal abuse really is, you know, everybody, everybody knows if you call somebody out of their name, that's verbally abusive. But what it also is, is that it consistently discounts someone's perception. So it's, it's invalidating what you're hearing a lot. And just quickly, I'm going to run through some bullet points about how to detect if you're being manipulated or verbally abused, if you're knee deep in a toxic relationship. So I'm just going to breeze through these. Thank you. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, first one is feeling temporarily thrown off balance and momentarily unable to right yourself. Uh, second one, if you're feeling lost, not knowing where to turn and you're searching aimlessly. Third is if you're being caught off guard. If your partner's constantly catching you off guard, that's a huge red flag. Number four is feeling disconnected and confused or disoriented. The next is feeling off balance as if the rug has been pulled out from under your feet. And these are just like things that are, that are happening on a daily basis where you're like, uh, I just feel off balance, right? The next is receiving double messages, but somehow unable or fearful to ask for clarification. Being afraid to ask for clarification is not a good sign. The next is feeling generally bugged out just by simply being in the presence of somebody else. Another red flag is to discover that you are mistaken in one's evaluation of where you stood or what it was all about. The next is feeling totally unprepared for a broken promise or unfulfilled expectation. If you trust somebody who says they're going to be there to do something and they don't show up, that's not good. Next, experiencing the shattering of an important dream. Another red flag is where one assumed goodwill, ill will seems to prevail instead. The next is one 
feels pushed around, not in control of your own direction. Another red flag is unable to get off the hamster wheel, redundantly spinning circles of thoughts, rumination. Another red flag is what seemed clear is now muddled. For example, if you have a, if you set a boundary and you say, yes, I work from home because it's the pandemic, but that doesn't mean that I'm not working. So please don't just show up between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Right. And that seems very clear. And then slowly but surely somebody starts showing up in these times and maybe you're happy to see them once or twice. And over time, this boundary becomes muddled. It's no longer clear. Another red flag is an uneasy, weird feeling of emptiness. Next is a strong wish to get away, yet feeling unable to move as if you're frozen or dormant. The last three here are you are befuddled, not able to attack the problem because you can't label the problem. Next is feeling vaguely suspicious that something is wrong. This is kind of just your intuition or your gut. And what's the last one? The last is feeling that your subjective world has become chaotic. What does that mean? So a good example of this, uh, your world becoming chaotic to a certain extent is that I, I run a business from home and I'm very good at um, systematizing things making lists, going through them and organizing things in, su in such a way and making things happen in, in an organized fashion. But over time, that wasn't happening and everything was chaos. I couldn't find where anything was. I couldn't seem to be able to even organize things in a way that made sense. And it was because of these constant interruptions and not being able to rely on that these interruptions wouldn't occur. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we are going to discuss verbal abuse and the many forms and disguises it takes. So the first one on our list is false flattery. And for everyone, we're going to be doing a description. We're going to be doing an example. And then some of them might have fun facts as well. Yeah. So false flattery is when an attempt is made to win support for your argument. Not by the strength of the argument, but by using flattery on those whom you want to accept your argument. An example of this would be uh, if someone says to you, it would really be best if you went grocery shopping because you are so good at picking out the best, ripest fruit. It's complimenting you, so you'll do something for them, right? Others can't get this done. You can. Only you can, uh, you're the best man for this job. Yeah. And, and what's your fun fact on this one? Uh, fun fact is flattery might get you somewhere, but it's usually a place you don't want to be. Zing. <laughs> Next on our list, we have appeal to force. This is when force, coercion, or even a threat of force is used in place of reason in an attempt to justify a conclusion. For example... Hey, boss, why do we have to work weekends when no one else in the company does? 
Am I seeing insubordination? I can find another employee very quickly, thanks to Craigslist, you know. And what's this explanation? Well, what just happened is, is uh, you asked a legitimate question to which you did not get a legitimate answer. Rather, your question was deflected by a threat of force, which was uh, being forced out of the job. And what is your tip in this situation? Do not allow others to force you into accepting something as true. And next up on the list, we have appeal to loyalty. So this is pretty straightforward. It's when one is either implicitly or explicitly encouraged to consider loyalty when evaluating something, when the truth of the argument is independent of loyalty. And really all that means is like somebody wants you to consider their loyalty in concluding that something's true or false and not worth investigating. An example would be, who are you going to believe, me or them? I'm your husband and that's all you have to know. Yeah, you know, this is the one where it's a, it, this is a tough one in society. This one right mm-hmm. here, I guess one of the things you always hear is like snitches get stitches. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think that one applies to this right here because it's not just a uh, husband, wife situation. This loyalty thing goes a long way with other people and toxic friends where you at, you're going along with certain things where you know you shouldn't be going along with it, but your loyalty, long-standing friendships with certain people uh, put you in bad situations. They're putting you in bad situations a lot. So mm. this one's a real interesting one because it's not, you know this one is a lot more common in, in all parts, I think, of society. Yeah, you know what another, what another example of this would be I just thought of is like um, when somebody uses your vows against you. Like you said, till death do us part. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't want to be the one that's dead. You know? The next one on our list is playing the victim. Yeah, pretty straightforward. The attempt to distract from the truth of the conclusion by the use of pity. And an example would be You don't care about me. You never cook. You never clean. You refuse to have sex with me. The least you could do is help me out with this one thing, this one time. Like, oh, poor you. (laughs) That's a a very subtle one. It's not an an overly done, like... I've you know lost my job or you know this person did something to me this one is more on the subtle everyday type of victim mentality within the home that example and, and appealing and appealing to to pity yeah yeah feel bad for me all right next up on the list we have withholding yeah and a lot of people know what withholding is but the description I'm using is the toxic person, the abuser, the manipulator. I'm going to use these interchangeably, so deal with it. So the the toxic person who refuses to listen to their partner, denies their experience, and refuses to share themselves with the other, and it's violating the primary agreement of the relationship, which is communication, right? So they're withholding. And it, it would be like, I, I hear a lot of people say, uh... 
oh, he's just shy or she just doesn't like to talk much. When really it's like, yeah, those those could be true. But at the same time, if you're in a relationship with someone, the whole point is to share and to share openly. And if somebody is withholding information or afraid to speak the truth, then there's something wrong there. All right. Next on the list, appeal to possibility. Mm-hmm. This one's kind of difficult to, to detect. It's uh, when a conclusion is assumed, not because it is probably true or it, it has not been demonstrated to be impossible, but because it is possible that it is true, no matter how improbable. <laughs> I'm so confused. Can I have an example for that? <laughs> an example would be saying like anything is possible to avoid admitting to something which is improbable or like, uh, do you think we will still get married someday? And the person goes, I don't know. Anything's possible. It's like, it's an avoidance of saying how you really feel. It's like, you know, it, it's like in Dumb and Dumber when he says... Uh, oh, uh, hold on. Uh, this is one of my favorite lines of all time. It's when Mary Swan... <laughs> Mary Swan... <laughs> sorry, Mary Samsonite. It was it was a name, but a real yeah. name, I think, was Mary Swanson or something like that. Uh, and he says, like, we're going to get married. And she, I, she, what did she say in response? She, I, I can't remember what she said. She said something like... Probably not. <laughs> and then he responds, so you're saying there's a chance. Exactly, because that's what it does. When you when you leave that possibility open for someone, you're not saying yes, you're not saying no, but you're appealing to the possibility. And that gives people hope, even though you have no intention of doing whatever that thing is. So next on our list, we have ridicule. Mm-hmm. Which is presenting an argument in such a way that makes the argument look totally ridiculous. Uh, it's usually by misrepresenting the argument or the use of exaggeration. So you're saying that every single day at exactly 6 p.m., you've had dinner on the table without exception? No. What I'm saying is... That I cook dinner for you every night with very few exceptions. But you said you always cook dinner for me. So that's not really true. Now, is it? <laughs> that, yeah, so that's ridiculing somebody. Uh, a good tip here is do your best to maintain your composure when someone commits this fallacy at your expense. Remember, they are the ones who have committed the error in reasoning tactfully point it out so before we get to the next one how is my acting skills very good i'm so impressed thank you and just so, and just so everyone knows uh in the notes that were given to me for these acting parts you did capitalize parts so i knew what to emphasize i did you're welcome i can't believe your notes i don't know how long this took you but you know you made my job pretty easy i'll tell you that next on the list spite oh yeah i'm guilty of this <laughs> i'm a little bit spiteful sometimes i'll admit it um i guess technically you could define spite as petty ill will or hatred with 
the disposition to irritate, annoy, or thwart someone, uh, especially in an argument or as reason to support or reject a claim. And an example would be, why should I bother exercising while you're on vacation stuffing your face with food? Fight is, fight is like a, it's, it's a, like, it's immature. It's what little kids do. It's like, well, you can't have it because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but when a grown-up does it, when a grown-up does it, it's toxic because they know better. Next on the list, appeal to stupidity. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. This is used uh, by politicians a lot. Uh, attempting to get the other to devalue reason and intellectual discourse or devaluing reason and intellectual discourse based on rhetoric. An example would be, you know what your problem is? You think too much. If you would just listen to your heart, you'd see that I'm right. <laughs> It's totally illogical. Another example, and this one probably will resonate a lot with a lot of people, especially if you're in the U.S., uh, like a politician would say, the other guy throws statistics and data at us showing us how much the economy has improved, but data and statistics, they don't feed your children. You see hungry children every day. The economy is getting worse. These were great examples. <laughs> Yeah. And what's the tip on this one? Oh, associate with people who appeal to your intelligence. Perfect. I'm doing that right now. Thank you. That's sweet. Now, next Flattery w. will get you nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm calm. Next one. Appeal to trust. The belief that if a source is considered trustworthy or untrustworthy, either one, then any information from that source must be true or false, respectively. An example would be, I've never lied to you before. Why would I be lying now? And what's a tip on this one? Just because you've never been caught in a lie does not mean that you have not lied or are not lying. It's a total fallacy. This is good uh, in a broader sense, like um, religion or pastors appeal to trust. They say they say something comes from the doctrine, let's say Christianity, the Bible, right? So the parishioners believe it just because they, ha they believe that person. They believe the person saying it. They believe where the information is coming from. They don't question it. Mm -hmm. There's a movie called The Believers, I think it was, with Ryan Gosling. And Ryan Gosling, this was his breakout movie where he played, it was based on a true story, where he played a Hasidic Jewish person that turned into a neo-Nazi. And wow. uh, at the beginning, uh, well, not the beginning, part of the movie was why he was not a big fan, uh, why he sorry, why he was not a big fan of Jewish people himself, even though he was Jewish, was because he believed in God and he believed that the Jewish people that he was hanging around with only believed in God and what he, they were told, because, well, and only believed in God because that's what they were told to believe, not because mm -hmm. they believed it himself, uh, themselves. And that 
was a big little difference for him that he didn't like, that they weren't thinking for themselves. And at least he came to the conclusion that there was God himself. And that created this weird space for him where he went the complete other direction. Interesting. My movie knowledge is getting in the way of the show, but let's continue. No, no, it's not. I, I think it's good to relate it to something that other people can relate it to, you know? So now we're going on to the next one, which is loaded language. Mm-hmm. Which is substituting facts and evidence with words that stir up emotion. And this is to attempt to manipulate others into accepting the truth of whatever's being said. And an example would be, if you can't be there for me tonight, then that means you've never loved me. You will never love me. And I cannot trust you to be there for me ever. (laughs) How many times have you heard something like this? I remember when uh, a friend's girlfriend in university said that to him. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, if you, if you don't do something one time, then it it de facto cancels out everything else. Yeah, this is, yeah. This one is what's the best way to put it? I mean, this one plays onto the people pleasing of in, in a way, or the, not the fixer, but a people pleasing aspect of people, where it really hits them in the guilt spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's guilt tripping. It's another term for guilt tripping. Yeah. Absolutely. Up next, we have fast talking. <laughs> when fast talking is seen as an intelligence or a confidence in the truth of somebody's argument. So it goes so it, it says to the person, it gives them evidence that the argument itself is true because it's just coming out quickly. I'm going to, I'm actually going to relate this to the movies. Okay. And unfortunately for people, I'm going to maybe discuss not a specific movie, but a lot of Steven Spielberg movies do this and more the action ones, which is if you really, if the, if the movie was slow and that's why pacing matters, if the movie is slow, you could sit there and dissect all of the plot problems, everything that's going on, all these little things are like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But they go at such a pace that you can't see the problems until after, and after the movie, you're like, that was a great movie. Oh, is it this and this and this? But if you were to actually go and sit down on some of them and be like, oh, and dissect it, you'd be like, that didn't make sense. That can't happen. That's not logical. And they're in the same sense, that's what people are doing when they're fast talking. They do it so you can't see all of the little holes that are there. You can't, you know, and after the fact, you're not going to go and sit down and look at it like you can with a movie because it, it, the conversation's gone. There's no place for you to put it unless it's done in person or, or, or written. And that, sorry, unless it's written. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Who's the guy? Who's the guy? Uh, uh, oh, whatever. It doesn't have to be a specific guy. Infomercials do this. They get the fastest talking person to just spit information at you so you don't have a chance to kind of d- digest it in this way that it's like, wait a second, this might not be the best idea. But you're going to buy that Floby. Right. Because you can't not because they've, They've sold it in such a way that's like, 
So, next on our list, we have gibberish. Uh, this is kind. Of, this is related to fast talking, but it's a little bit different. The difference is, is that it's it's incomprehensible jargon, or it's like plain incoherent gibberish, and it's used to give the appearance of a strong argument in the place of anything valid. And uh, the more common form of this argument is when a person making the argument defaults to like highly technical jargon, or Details not directly related to the argument, just to restate it in the conclusion. I know that's kind of complicated and doesn't make sense, but um, I have an example. I wrote an example, and it's like it's so word salady that I'm not even sure I can get it out. Well, of course, if you request that I roll the tides in and out all the days, if we lived on the Gulf of Mexico, our pipes would be the cleanest pipes on the block. And not as far as I know, that's the way it's always been, the way it'll always be, is why I don't have to flush the pipes today. Is that clear? That is as clear as day as that is gibberish. (laughs) It's confusing. Nothing was actually said. And what's your tip on this? Remember that good communication is not about confusing people. It's about mutual understanding. So uh, not, well, it's kind of gibberish related and not, well, not fast talking related, but I guess it's a word salad related. When sitting in on meetings a long time ago, companies would come into the office where he worked and they'd present their companies. And the ones that were like technology companies you know, we'd sit there and we'd ask questions and you'd ask questions and then you still don't kind of understand it, but you kind of don't say anything at that point. And after the meeting's over, you or whoever else was in the meeting, you'd be like, so what did you think of that? And one person would usually say, I don't have any idea what that person was talking about because yeah. they didn't want you to. Right. Right. They used yeah. kind of the same type of language. It was a gibberish where it, it seemed like they answered the question, but you're kind of looking at other people like, what did he say? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember, Especially, like, we have to do more work on that, uh, Brandon. You got to do more work on that because the first thing we have to understand is what do they actually do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, uh, uh, academics, people who have like special knowledge in a certain area who are um, maybe just like a little out of touch with the fact that other people have no idea what they're talking about tend to do this. The best, <laughs> the best question in there was just like, not just what they do, how do they make money? They didn't even bring like how. Yeah. Because it's not important because they don't, it's, it's, they're just trying to get you to give them money to spend on themselves. Debt. Exactly. Up next, we have distracting with charm. Yes. So an example would be, let me start by thanking all the wonderful people of this town by hosting this great event. I would be honored to call all of you my friends. As friends, I want to tell you that it's important that we all band together to defeat the other guy. And what's the tip on this one? That being charming is a skill and it's not a crime unless it's used at the expense of valid claims and strong evidence to persuade others. You don't want to be charming to get something from someone. 
You can just be charming because you're charming. Well, thank you. And <laughs> up next, we have <laughs> selective attention. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember? I was, like, going over um, examples. I was, like, trying to figure out what this was called. I knew that this was happening in my life, but I didn't know what it was called. And finally, I was like, this is selective attention. And I describe it as focusing your attention on certain aspects of an argument while completely ignoring or missing the other parts. This usually results in irrelevant rebuttals and unnecessarily drawn-out arguments. And an example would be, so I'm going to be, I'm going to play the role of, uh, you know, a partner, and you're going to be the other partner. Okay. Okay, so when you tell me to be quiet all the time, it makes me feel unheard. I don't tell you to be quiet all the time. You said every single day, all I do is say, be quiet. That's not what I said. What did you say then? I said making, I was just making a request that you don't shush me. I thought you said I told you to be quiet. Yes, the same thing. What should I do instead? You shouldn't be telling me to be quiet at all. The sound of my voice shouldn't be annoying to you. Who said the sound of your voice annoyed me? Now you're putting words in my mouth. New rule, don't put words in my mouth. So, as you can see, somebody started out making a request and saying, you know, this, is, this makes me feel a certain way. Could you not do it? And by the end of it, the other partner is making the rules and hasn't acknowledged at all what was being requested. And it's been flipped around where I'm now the one being the victim. Right, exactly. Where where I'm I'm coming at you all of a sudden. Really, I'm just requesting something completely reasonable. Don't shush me. I would never. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, it's like toxic people, manipulators, abusive people... They really do not like to be told what to do. They don't like to be asked not to do something. It's a, it's a control thing. It's, they just want to do whatever. And if you question them on it or make a request of them to the contrary, that's really when you see a lot of this come out. And what's a good tip here? A tip when you're in this situation, I've been thinking, I have been racking my brain, honestly, for years now to try to figure out, like, when I'm noticing this is happening in the present moment, what to do. And what I've come up with, which I don't know if it works because I haven't put it into action, but it seems like it might, is just to flip it again. It, like while the, the toxic person or the manipulator is ignoring all the relevant information, you can ignore the irrelevant information. So everything that they're saying in the rebuttal, you can ignore that. And it's a good way to evaluate the argument and keep it on track. Just when you start noticing that they're countering you and trying to take you off, off uh, topic, just tune them out and get back on topic. All right. Next up on the list, we have phallicists fallacy. <laughs> Pretty sure that's not a word, but we'll go with it. This is concluding that the truth value of an argument is false based on the fact that the argument contains a fallacy. So if there's like one wrong thing in your argument, 
the manipulator will focus on that one wrong thing and discredit the whole rest of the argument. And let's do an example for everyone. Okay. So I, so like I would say, can you please do me the favor of making sure that the door gets shut all the way when you come home? The door was wide open again when I woke up this morning and Cookie was outside barking up a storm. The cat was outside barking up a storm? I meant Fido. I don't know why I said Cookie. I'm not listening to you because you can't even keep straight who is there and doing what. That's actually, <laughs> that's, a, that's a real life example. <laughs> I'm, did that trigger you? No, not at all. It was just like, these things happen, this specifically, uh, it, like all the time where you would be flustered because, you know, you would be confronting someone that you knew was going to counter you in some way. So going into the argument in the first place, it's not even an argument. It becomes an argument, but you're going into the conversation already kind of on guard. You become flustered and you just make, you, you call somebody by the wrong name or you say he when you meant she or whatever. And that becomes the focus of the conversation to distract you from what you're actually trying to accomplish. And now we're going on to our next one. It is avoiding the issue. And I guess we'll start off, that's pretty self-explanatory, but we'll start off with an example. Yeah, this is like a masterpiece theater or something. <laughs> what, us? A masterpiece theater? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, everyone, I never went to acting skill, I ne school. I never said I was an actor of any sort. I'm just playing one today. Yeah, exactly. I just play one on uh, the radio. Uh, you ready? Yes. Okay. What on earth did you spend $700 on today? I went to the mall. I told you that already. Yeah, but what did you buy that cost $700? <laughs> I'm reading this for the first time. <laughs> I bought pizza at Sparrow's. <laughs> did you know? Okay. Did Wait. you did you know that you get a free? Because Sabaros is funny to me. It's at every mall, right? It's, it, it, I, I'm from Canada. We don't have, like, it's a very American thing. So Sabaros is funny to me. Well, what should we put instead? I'll do it again. Do it again. Okay. Okay. An example of avoiding the issue would be. What on earth did you spend $700 on today? I went to the mall. I told you that already. Yeah, but what did you buy that cost $700? I bought pizza at Sabaro's. Did you know that you get a free drink with a slice? I did not know that. Oh, guess who I saw at the mall? Your friend Rebecca. So it starts off, right? I'm saying, what did you spend $700 on? And we're ending up with you saying... Oh, I got pizza. Did you know you got a free drink with that? Oh, guess what? I saw your friend Rebecca. <laughs> and you never find out what the money got spent on, and it's intentional. And the topic was changed, and now we'll just move on like it was never mentioned. <laughs> What's a tip on that one? Yeah, a good tip on this is don't avoid questions where you are afraid you won't like the answers. Just face them head on and deal with the truth. Stay focused. All right, and next up we have cherry picking. 
Yeah. When only select evidence is presented in order to persuade the other person to accept a position. Uh, This is also kind of like casual admission. Oh, man, cherry picking is such a great way to discern when somebody is the toxic person. So what's an example? An example of cherry picking would be my ex slapped me once during an argument. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, that's abusive. I'm so sorry. And that's the end of the conversation, right? But really, this person cherry picked an incident where they got slapped and labeled their ex the abuser while admitting that they were slapped because they were being they were choking the other person. So it's like, yeah, my ex was abusive. I got slapped once, and then it's like, that's the end of the story. But it's just a piece of the story. And what's a tip in this situation? If you suspect that people are only telling you the half truth, don't be afraid to ask. Is there anything you're not telling me? That's a great answer. It's a great tip. So next we have loaded questions. And these are questions where there's a presupposition built in, which implies something but protects the one asking the question from accusations. And examples like, um, how many times a day do you stink up the bathroom? Ugh. <laughs> that's just not, that's also one that's done to shame you at the same time. Oh, it's loaded questions are like always pointed at just, at just destroying you. <laughs> right. Or like, what's another good example? Um, uh, do you do you just eat these high calorie meals all day long? Yeah, that's going to get you for sure. Mm-hmm. Anything that's going to really needle, uh, shame you, or even have a kernel of truth in there, uh, knowing mm-hmm. someone's vulnerability, uh, especially if you have body issues, to load something, a loaded question right in there. Uh, I've mm-hmm. seen it done before. It's also done for shock value. It's also done to kind of like throw you off a little bit. What's, an, exa- what's an example of throwing off? Well, it's like a rhetorical question that there's no way for you to even answer. Okay. And it, and it, and it hits you in that sore spot at the same time. And next we have quoting out of context. This is just removing a passage from its surrounding matter in such a way to distort the intended meaning. And this would be like if I said, you called me a loser. I didn't say that. I said that I was the winner and you were the loser of the dominoes game last night. That's not calling you a loser. Right. And so it's it's the first person is pulling out just a chunk of the narrative. And using it out of context, quoting it out of context in order to fulfill their narrative of what they're trying to accomplish, which is to start a fight. Sounds like the media these days. Oh, my goodness gracious. If only. If only we had the time. <laughs> That's another pod. That We should do one about that. But uh, up next, we have redefinition. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's defining a term in such a way that it makes one's position easier to defend. For an example, you seem mad. Are you mad at me? 
I'm just sitting here watching TV. Why would you ask me that? Because that look on your face is the definition of mad. Yeah, and a, a look on my face is not the definition of mad. <laughs> right? It's it's um, defining things in your own special way, which is not at all the definition. And what is a tip for everyone when it comes to redefinition? Is don't accept definitions put forth by your opponent, especially when your opponent is defining you. Defining you, by the way, this is huge. I should have said this up front, but in the context of interpersonal relationships, verbal abuse can just a blanket definition can be somebody else defining you. If someone is saying you are, and then whatever comes after that, they're saying that that's you, that's a definition of you. And that's not okay. You are always cranky when you wake up in the morning. It's these little things that happen over time that make you lose yourself. You're like, oh, I guess I am. Am I cranky every morning? And you just hear it over and over and over again. You're a messy slob. You're this, you're that. That's a blanket definition for verbal abuse. And up next, we have double standard. Right. Everybody's probably heard this before. It's defined as judging two situations by different standards when, in fact, you should be using the same standard. And it's used just to unfairly support an argument. An example would be... I can't believe you stayed out until 2 a.m. What were you thinking? You were out till 2 a.m. just last week. Yeah, but that was different. I was with the boys. That was different. Right. It's not different. (laughs) It's the same thing. It's a double standard. I get to do it when I want to do it, but you're not allowed. And this happens a lot in regular society, not just relationship in this, in in the male-female world. Uh, And it's why there was a, you know, female empowerment a women's liberation movement for this one thing, mm-hmm. the double standard that continues to go on to this day. That's right. All right. Up next, opposition. Opposition is asserting that those who disagree with you must be wrong and not thinking straight. And this is primarily based on the fact that they are your opposition. And what's an example? Example would be like, uh, if you are not pro-life, then that must mean that all pro-choice people would murder a baby. <laughs> and what is a tip in this situation? It's just, be- you know, because you hold different opinions, that doesn't make you an enemy. This is like, I mean, this is so evident in the political climate currently. It's like... uh You know, because say like Democrats are for uh, more gun control and then you have the opposition saying Democrats want to get rid of all your guns. It's it's two totally different arguments, but it's made just because you're in opposition of what they want. And it's exaggerated usually. And up next, we will go to black and white thinking. Oy, yeah. You this just be, is, uh, you just became Jewish there with your oi. I just like I'm having a flashback. 
black and white thinking. It's, it's or so... you're my gra- or you're my grandmother. One of the two. Well, that would also be like a, a would you say it the first time an old Jewish lady? Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, black and white thinking is is one of the main tells of a personality disorder. By the way, it is when only two choices are presented, yet more exist. Or a spectrum of possible choices exists between two extremes. Um, it's like either this or that kind of language. Um, yeah, an example would be, I thought I could rely on you, but you forgot to pick me up from work. So obviously I can't trust you and will never trust you again. It's very black and white. It's, it's this or that. It's like either I can trust you because you are 100% on your game or you messed up this one time, so it's over. And what's another example? Another one would be like, you either love me or hate me, and this doesn't feel like love. <laughs> and what is a good tip in this situation? <laughs> I wrote this here because I thought it was so great that I came up with it on the spot, but I'm regretting it now. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. These flowers can be pink and purple and yellow, too. I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. So up next, we have, we're saying the same thing. How many times have you heard this from somebody where you're like, no, we're not saying the same thing. (laughs) But it's like when an argument or a claim in which two completely different opposing arguments appear to be logically equivalent when in fact they're not. And an example would be like if I said, I love you. I don't hate you. Why can't you just say I love you? I just did. <laughs> We're saying the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Yep. And a lot of people use it at the, like in the middle of an argument. You'll hear this a lot when the when when somebody realizes that they're just being an asshole <laughs> and they don't really want to keep arguing and they've just been kind of like placating the argument in some way and they'll just say like you know what we're, we're we're really saying the same thing here and it's like well why have we been arguing for 20 minutes then up next we have having your cake and this is basically just making an argument or responding to one in a way that does not make it clear what the position is uh it 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 leaves the door open we'll say and i'll give an example like if I were to say, hey, Brandon, what time should we go out on Friday? I could take off work for lunch around two or we could grab an early dinner and a movie or we could meet for dinner later on. What do you think? Well, 2 p.m. is the best time to eat lunch because, you know, the restaurants are always empty. And what's happened here is that he's neither agreed nor disagreed with a time he hasn't committed to anything he's only given the illusion that he has which is leaving the door open to do something else without having to stand me up and if i interpret that as him saying okay so we're gonna get lunch at 2 p.m and then he decides he doesn't want to go out with me he could say i never agreed to that and do you know what i did commit to there I committed to saying my lines differently than I did before. That's called actor's choices. 
<laughs> so special. Up, ne- <laughs> up next, <laughs> we have what if. Well, the what ifs. Um, this is basically offering a poorly supported claim about what might have happened in the past or the future. doesn't matter. Or like a hypothetical if circumstances were different and an example of this would be <laughs> this is a this is a direct example from my life which is if you'd keep your workspace cleaner you'd sell much more products or if you'd take me out more often i'd be more attracted to you it's like the first part and the second part aren't connected yeah and and what is it what they're trying to do here they're trying to get you to do the first thing. So if, so I instead of saying, I'd really like it if we went out more often, they're saying, if you took me out more often, then I would be more attracted to you. They're trying to manipulate you into taking them out. So they're trying to, and, and the other one, they're trying to manipulate you into having a clean workspace and they're doing, uh, in that one, you're, you're selling, selling more products. They're giving you a dangling carrot to look forward to that. Hey, I can make more money And and their thing is, well, even if they don't get any more money, which is not going to happen because it's not, it, this doesn't correlate to each other. I'm just, I'm going to get my clean workspace. Right. Like, I just want you to clean up your workspace, but I want to just tell you that. And up next, we have insignificant cause. Oh, boy. This is going to hit home for a lot of people, I think. It's an explanation that posits one minor factor out of several that contributed to its sole cause. And an example of this would be when you hear somebody say, I only act like this because my mom didn't pay attention to me as a child. Or Oh, uh, this is a big one. This is a big one. Yes. Yeah. Or, or they only do those things because they grew up in foster care. You know? They're they're blaming. They're 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 taking a historical thing and using it to have an excuse for their actions or whatever they're doing. Yeah, it's an excuse. Up next. We have jumping to conclusions. Yeah, just drawing a conclusion without taking the needed time to evaluate the evidence or reason or whatever the argument is. An example would be like, you didn't call me at 8 o'clock like you said you would because you don't like talking to me. (laughs) When really it's, I didn't call you at 8 o'clock because I went out and forgot my phone. You're jumping to the conclusion. And I think this is something that this happens in these relationships a lot, but also sometimes in regular life, people are guilty of this a little bit too here or there. Totally. And it's because you get in your head about things, but in an abusive relationship, when a manipulator is doing it, nine times out of 10, they're not assuming things. They are doing it on purpose. They want you to think that they have been up all night, just worried to death. Where have you been? When really they're not, they're just trying to, Frazzle you. And it's it's also a, a, it just, well, it's fake. It's fake. It's totally fake. It's totally fake concern. And it's like, um, it is, they, they want you to know that they assume the worst of you. 
Up next, worst case scenario. Yeah, speaking of worst, this one is making an argument based on the worst case scenario rather than the most probable scenario, allowing fear to prevail over reason. And an example would be, uh, you were late coming home from work, so you're obviously cheating on me. They want you to think that if, if you don't do things exactly the way that they want you to do them, then you are going to be blamed for something, punished for something. There's going to be an argument. It's a way to keep you in, in place. Up next, we have limited depth. Which is pretty simple. It's it's failing to appeal to the underlying cause. And instead of simply appealing to membership in a category. In other words, it's like simply asserting that you're trying to explain without actually explaining anything. <laughs> Which I know doesn't make sense, but maybe the example will help. Uh, for example, um, I didn't tell you that I was going to be late coming home because I didn't tell you. Or I was flirting with that girl because I'm a flirt. <laughs> like the reasoning is the same as as what what's happening. There's nothing being said, and it's that's they're they're trying to pass it off as an explanation, but really nothing's being said. Up next, we have a nitpicking. Nitpicking using the technical tools of logic in an unhelpful and pedantic manner by focusing on trivial details instead of directly addressing the main issue. Example? Yeah. So it's like if I were to say, hey, could you please help me carry my packages to the post office in the morning? Why carry them to the post office? Why not just call for pickup? Because the post office doesn't pick up on Saturdays. So why not just wait to mail the packages on Monday when they can pick them up? No, because they're scheduled to ship tomorrow. Who is really going to notice if they're one day late? Are you going to help me with the packages or not? <laughs> End scene. Yeah. This is a real life example also. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I can see why. I can see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's. It's just needling every tiny little detail of everything and just avoiding the topic, avoiding whatever it is that you know that the other person is trying to get you to, to not avoid. I wish I could tell a family story because uh, uh, it doesn't involve me, unfortunately. I would just witness to it, but that's for another day. Up next, we have Magical Thinking. Yeah, magical thinking. Another big cluster B tell. It's making casual connections or correlations between two things not based on logic or evidence, but primarily based on superstition. I like to say the magical thinking is drawing connections between our external world and our internal thoughts in order to connect dots or to create a narrative rather than be a victim of one. So an example would be, you made me punch a hole in the wall instead of I punched a hole in the wall because I was frustrated and can't control myself. How many times have you heard somebody say, you made me? <laughs> oh, I have, a, I, I have a great story for that, but continue. Another example would be like, that asshole made me drive off the road and now I have a flat tire because of him. Instead of, I have road rage and was driving erratically and now I have a flat tire. It's a, it's a way to deflect blame also. 
when I was 15 or 16 years old, I was in Florida with my mother and my brother. It was very rare that we would be away without any of the other members of our family. And we were on a golf course and I had hit my ball out of bounds and I took my ball uh, from out of, I mean, we're not professionals here, you know, I took my ball no. out of the out of bounds <laughs> and I threw my ball backwards and then I hit my ball from there and I took my stroke penalties or two stroke penalties. And my brother goes up to hit his and he tops the ball and it goes right into the water. And then he turns around and he goes, because of you and your rule breaking, you made me hit the ball into that water. And I was like, no, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, but you know what? If you're not, if you are not on guard for this and it becomes a repetitive thing where you just get accustomed to it, you start fighting it and you start saying those things. You start saying, no, I didn't. Right. And that's the worst thing you can do because it's like you're acknowledging their delusion. And after that, my mom wanted to just have things be peaceful. And she goes, just apologize. And I'm like, no, I am not apologizing. (laughs) She's like, just apologize so we can continue playing. I'm like, I refuse to apologize. And then it was just turned into World War III. I was like, I'm not apologizing for this. This is ridiculous. And my mom was like, just apologize. I'm like, no. And my mom was sitting in the golf cart and... I almost turned the golf cart over. <laughs> like I was so <laughs> mad with her in it. And I just took my golf clubs off of the back of the cart and I just walked home. It's infuriating when someone is looking you dead in the eye and saying, you made me do it. And you're like, how, how, <laughs> how, how did I make you or, or I only thought that because you blah, 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 blah. Right. That story is famous amongst my friends from that era. When I came back and I told them that story, they were just like, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's really, it's like, unless you have a remote control to the other person's operating system, no one's making you do or say or think or feel anything. And that's really important to remember. And up next we have moving the goalposts pretty classic one here it's demanding from somebody else that they address more and more points after the initial counter argument has been satisfied and refusing to concede or accept the opponent's argument and consider the task at hand complete an example of this would be like we'd be so much happier if we lived in a bigger apartment so you get a bigger apartment and then it's like It's this town that's so depressing. We'd be so much happier if we moved out of state. So then you move out of state. And then it's, I would be so much happier for a minute. After we moved, I was great. But now you're so demanding. You've demanded so much from me. That's what's really bringing me down. And then it's like, okay, so I won't be demanding of you and then it's you never ask me for anything it's like you don't even think i exist (laughs) you can't win every time you meet the demand the goalposts move and you have to beat the next demand and the next demand and the next demand they're never satisfied yeah i could go into a million stories on this 
Totally. <laughs> but I'm going to stop myself just to make this podcast a little shorter, everyone. Yeah. But it, this is a really common thing, like very, very, very common. And it's maddening and it's frustrating beyond belief, especially in my life. So um, up next. And it's intentional. It's intentional. And that's that's one thing that you have to drive home. It's like they know that they've asked you for something and you've done it. They know that. They're just going to keep doing this forever. This doesn't end. It's a never-ending story. You know what? Another another way that this is used is for coercion. It's like slowly coercing you into something. Like, you never give me a good night kiss when I go to sleep. So it's like, okay, I'll start giving you a good night kiss. And then it's like, you never run my back when I go to sleep. All you do is give me a good night kiss. <laughs> and then it just keeps going, 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 going until you're doing, you know, a variety of things at the end of the day. Up next, we have poisoning the well, smear campaigning, or as you like to put it, talking shit. It's all the same thing. <laughs> it's, you know, you know what all those things mean, but we'll define it as to commit to a preemptive attack against your opponent. That is to prime the other person with adverse information about the opponent from the beginning in an attempt to make your claim more acceptable or to discount the credibility of your opponent. And the, the classic narcissistic example of this is trash-talking the ex. As soon as you meet somebody who's narcissistic, they have nothing but bad things to say about their ex. And they have no relationships with their exes. They have nothing but, but shit to talk. And what's a tip? Just to be wary of anyone who doesn't have good relationships with their ex-partners and anyone who has nothing but bad things to say about people from their past. Because most likely they're just, they're priming you in a way. They're just priming you to not heed advice from said person who might have something to share about your new partner. They want to make sure that they're, whoever has dirt on them is discredited. And up next, we have rationalization. It's also known as making excuses. It's offering a false or inauthentic excuse for a claim because we know that the real reasons are much less persuasive or more embarrassing to share or harsher than the manufactured given ones. And an example would be like, <laughs> back to this packages thing, right? I, I, I can't. I can't help you take your packages to the post office tomorrow because I have a lot of work to catch on, to catch up on. Plus, I really need to take a hot shower because my back is so achy. Instead of just saying, I don't want to help you. And next we have red herring. Yes, which is attempting to redirect the topic to another issue to which the person doing the redirecting can better respond and an example of this would be you start. For example, it is morally wrong to cheat on your spouse. Why on earth would you have done that? But what is morality exactly? It's a code of conduct shared by cultures. But who creates the code? It could be worse. It could be better. No, no, no. That's the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> Do it again. 
So, (laughs) (laughs) all right. And now after that one, the next topic is, or the next uh, tactic is, it could be worse, it could be better. Yeah, just trying to make a scenario appear better or worse by comparing it to the best or worst case scenario. An example would be like, I'm so excited. I just got an A on my physics exam. And the dad is like, why not an A plus? Which question did you get wrong? (laughs) It's like, why didn't you do better? Another example would be, uh, you should be happy I only pushed you. A lot of men hit their wives. Not me. Could be worse. And uh, again, this happens all the time. And Mm -hmm. uh, for everyone that's going through this, I'm sending you big hugs. On that note, we're going to go to uh, scapegoating. Right. (laughs) Scapegoating is just unfairly blaming an unpopular person or group of people for a problem. Um, That's an easy target. It's just being an easy target. An example would be like, I know I got drunk, slapped the waitress on the butt. Then urinated in the parking lot from inside the restaurant, but that was because you didn't take me home earlier. And do you have another example? Yeah, like on a grander scale, scapegoating could be scapegoating an entire population. I mean, racism really falls under this category. Like somebody could say, uh, the reason that Haiti keeps being destroyed by earthquakes is because they don't believe in God down there. You're scapegoating a whole people, a whole country. And that was the, the probably the nicest scapegoating of uh, a large population you could have done. I had, it took me a long time to come up with something that wasn't just horrific. Yes. And next we have shifting of the burden of proof. Yeah, making a claim that needs justification, then demanding that the other justifies the opposite of the claim. And what's an example for that? An example would be like, if I were to say, are you on some kind of drug? Your pupils are totally dilated. No, how dare you accuse me of doing drugs? Go ahead, search me. See, nothing in my pockets. Maybe gather some evidence next time before you go around accusing me of something like that. Right. So the burden of proof would be on me, even though it's clear that you're doing something wrong. Because my pupils are dilated. Yeah. And you're like, you look like you're on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) How did you know? Not really. (laughs) Up next, we have the straw man fallacy. Yeah, this one's really common, even though it's not uh, commonly called this. It's substituting a person's actual position or argument with a distorted or exaggerated or misrepresented version of the position of the argument. And an example would be like, well, you can go and ruin your life if you want to, but I'm staying right here when all you said was, I'm thinking about joining book club on Tuesdays. Okay. (laughs) So uh, another one, the next one we have, two wrongs make a right. Yeah, that's when somebody attempts to justify an action against another person because the other person did take or would take the same action against him or her. And an example of this would be, I only cheated on you because you were seeing me and that other guy when we first met. 
It's not a, it's like it's not a good it's not a reason. Two wrongs don't make the right. It's also just backwards, just backwards thinking. Totally. Up next we have a self-confidence attack. This is when somebody attacks your self-confidence in place of making an argument or, or having evidence to something and it's like uh it doesn't really matter that we didn't go to the party because you look tired anyway. Or do you really want to enter the contest? I mean, you're kind of short to be a runaway model, don't you think? And that's pretty self-explanatory. And up next, we have no need for us to do any improv scenes on that one. And uh, up next, we have making stuff up. Yeah, I think very often we deliberately want to be right and to hold on to certain beliefs despite any evidence presented to the contrary. And as a result, we begin to make up excuses as to why our belief could still be true or is so true, despite the fact that we have no real evidence for what we're making up. I guess a good example of this would be like, I saw you at the bar last night. You cheated on me, didn't you? No. Well, Angela said you did. No, she didn't. You're just making that up. And what's a tip in this situation? A tip would be like when you suspect people are just making stuff up rather than providing evidence to support their claims, simply ask them, what evidence do you have to support that? And up next, we have something called ad hominem. Oh, this is such a classic narcissistic move. It's attacking the person who's making the argument rather than the argument itself. Oh, when the attack on the person is completely irrelevant to the argument the person's making. We saw we see this a lot in politics. It's it's like you attack the 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 people or the person instead of making an argument against whatever you're you're fighting against. Um, an example would be like, how do you even know that you never went to college? You're a moron. <laughs> or I consider your perspective if you weren't always wrong you're such an idiot and this happens a lot in uh, court uh, I guess in mm-hmm. sexual assault cases where mm-hmm. they will then attack the uh, person who is uh, assaulted and they'll go after the character and maybe their previous sexual exploits, etc. What, what it was like beforehand, even though that has nothing to do with the act that was going on at the time. Right. It's, it's trying to destroy your character to make an argument against whatever you're being accused of. Yeah. And a tip with this. When others verbally attack you, take it as a compliment to the quality of your argument because it's usually a sign of desperation on their part. It's a clear, it's a clear way to say, Oh, you have no argument for what you're saying. Great. And then you could just move on. It's like a hail Mary pass on, on their end of like trying to get you in some way. Absolutely. Up next, we have questioning motives, which is suggesting that the person who's making the argument is biased or predisposed to a particular stance. And therefore the argument is necessarily invalid. And do you have any examples of this? An example would be, you're only afraid of me because your father abused you. I'm not your father. When really it's like, no, I'm afraid of you because I'm afraid of you. (laughs) Or it would be like, 
you only want me to go to the party because you have no one else to go with and not because you love me. So I'm not going. And up next, we have you too. Yeah, this one's really common as well. It's just claiming that the argument is flawed by pointing out that the one making the argument is not acting consistently with the claims. Any example? Yeah, I think, um, like, uh, don't tell me I shouldn't smoke cigarettes. You smoked cigarettes when you were younger. It's like, you do the same thing. So why can't I do it? Even though it doesn't necessarily, it's not a, it's not a good argument. Or um, you would do the same thing if you were in my position. It's like, would I? I don't know. I don't think I, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's like, the, the last one is kind of like putting words into someone's mouth. In a yes. way. In a way. Yep. It is. Up next, we have alleged certainty. Oh, boy. I <laughs> This one is like, it's huge. It's asserting a conclusion without evidence through a statement that makes the conclusion appear certain when, in fact, it's not. And I'll give you a, a quick story. A really, good, a really good example of this is my ex-husband wrecked my car, my car, three times within a very short period of time, like little fender benders or backing up onto something or whatever happened because I never actually found out every single time what happened. And after the second time I said, you have to stop and get the person's information. I do not have money to fix all these like little dents and stuff, you know, or it's like, or you could fix them, but either way, like something has to happen here. And then the third time he comes back and I realized that there's like a new dent in my car. I say, what the heck happened? And he says, I didn't tell you because I knew you'd react like this. <laughs> I was like, I'm only reacting to you not telling me after I asked you to tell me. I'm not reacting to the fact that you got into a fender bender. I'm reacting to the fact that you didn't tell me that you got into a fender bender. It's crazy making. It drives you up the wall because it's also it's it's a lose lose also which is the next thing which is the next thing on our list everyone lose lose situation right it's just when when one is presented with two choices but both are essentially the same only worded differently an example would be like uh you can either leave tonight or you can leave early in the morning either way i want you gone by sunrise <laughs> the same thing and what's a tip in the situation? Whenever you are presented with options, carefully consider the possibility of other options not mentioned and propose them. That's a good way to get out of a lose-lose situation. Just come up with other options. And up next, we have vagueness. Yeah, just being unclear. It's like when an unclear phrase with multiple definitions is used in an argument. And so it doesn't support the conclusion. And it's like if I were to say to you... Where were you? Down the way. Down the way? Where? Up the block. <laughs> uh, I think a good tip for this is don't be afraid to ask for clarification, especially if the alternative is to assume that you're being deceived. It, the way you wrote that was like that old famous bit of like, who's on first? Oh, I don't know it. Oh, that's the old bit like from, the, I don't know what era it was. Like, who's on first? I don't know. I don't know it's on second, you know. You don't know that yeah. bit? Anyway, I no. won't even discuss that. 
So now the last thing on our list, we made it all the way to the end. Appeal to anger. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It's when someone uses anger or hatred or rage to substitute for evidence in an argument. And I really want this point to be heard and known that when someone is flying off into a rage or narcissistic rage and they're punching holes in the wall and they're storming around the house and stomping and their face is turning red and their eyes are bulging out of their head, that is to get you to stop doing whatever you're doing, to get you to shut up, stop saying what you're saying, or to get you to agree with something that they want you to agree with. It is a verbal tactic turned into a physical tactic. It's not because they've lost control. It's not because they can't control themselves. It's not because they have anger issues. It is the same thing as any of the rest of these. That's really important. So thank you for you know doing this with me today. We shared a lot of information. You put a lot of work into this. And I really want to thank you for for doing it. I mean, we've gone here like an hour and 30 minutes at least. And this is a lot of good information. And I hope that everyone was able to digest it the way uh, we wanted you to digest it. And I think you did a, a fantastic job. You're going to help a lot of people today. And, you know, we're going to come back with another episode in the future about the Enneagram your passion, the Enneagram. And is there anything you want uh, people to know before we end off the show? Um, there's something to know. I think something that is useful, which is very difficult for me, and I know for a lot of other people, which is when you suspect you're being attacked or manipulated in some way, it's to stay grounded in your body and what's going on so you can pull this information out of what's being said instead of allowing it to have its intended effect over you, which is to manipulate you. If you can really just stay present, you can figure it out before it's too late. And for those who want to go hear Vienna's story, December 20th, 2020, you can find her story. And once again, Vienna, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being here. I hope you had fun doing this with me and all my little joking around. Hopefully I didn't offend you that badly. And, <laughs> and from Vienna and I, everyone, we hope you have a good night. <laughs>